Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Aram then a man and dad the Nashan who is then the dad of Salmon who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz who had Obed who had Jesse. Jesse he had David who we know as king. David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon well you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam. Followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfather Joachim, who caused the Babylonian captivity. Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiad, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliad. Then he had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely. I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. Okay, you just heard it in the song. Who is Aminadab's father? Any guesses? No? If you got it right, which we will read in a second who in fact it was, if you got it right, good on you. Because those those that list, that genealogy, that's actually the, the book of Matthew, chapter one, verses two through seventeen, as as God begins the New Testament laying out that that list of who begat who that term begat is is from the king james it means to to give rise to or to to have brought about or to fathered and that's that's what we need to take from this is who fathered who right from whose family are you from and so but it shows up 139 times in the king james that idea of fathering somebody 139 verses it's in and a whole bunch of them 14, 15 are here. They're here as in this, in what we just heard and, and what we're going to read some of in a minute. It, it begins as early as Genesis and goes through 1 John, almost the entire Bible, this, this idea of who fathering who. But these genealogies, these lists, I will tell you, um, had I not seen that song, I'm not sure I would have ever started a sermon with a genealogy with one of those lists. If you've read them in the Old Testament, they can become tedious. We have a tendency to to gloss over them, to look past them and go, okay, let's get to the to the real meat of, of what the Lord is trying to teach us in his word. But but this genealogy, 
and honestly, all of the lists of names that God puts in the Bible have a, they serve a powerful purpose. They are reminders. They are reminders of who God is and his faithfulness to his people, even when they're not necessarily worthy of being faithful to. And in this case, it sets the stage for where they are headed, where they are going. Over the course of the scripture you just heard, there are 42 generations. 42. Verse 17 of of Matthew, Matthew 1 verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham Abraham to David were 14. And from David until the exile of Babylon, 14. And from the exile of Babylon to the Messiah, 14. And you think, 14? Why is 14 really that special? It's not about the 14. It's about the 42. 42 is another way of calculating 42, which in this case is 14 plus 14 plus 14, is also 6 times 7. And without going too much into detail about what numbers mean in the Bible, suffice it to say that there are certain numbers, the number 3, the number 7, which is what we're talking about here, and the number 12 that are repeated numerically, representative of something special, something important. There are the the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, and then the 12 apostles here in the New Testament. That's not by accident, right? But this number seven uh, tends to, if you see it in scripture, tends to indicate holiness, perfection, righteousness, the things of God. And so this 42, this six times seven, What it's really doing is setting the stage for something else. And no, it's not the answer to all things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but it's setting the stage for the seven times seven, for that, that perfect number, that perfect number. And so why does Matthew put it here at the beginning of his gospel and at the beginning of, of the New Testament? It's because it inaugurates Jesus Christ as the culmination of human history. It is the fulfillment of the prophecies of God that the people of God have been waiting on for centuries. This is the first week of our Advent season. Advent is a a celebration, a series of of lessons and, and, and things tied to the coming of Jesus Christ that we as a church choose to kind of celebrate every year. The word Advent can mean anticipation, right? This, this idea of anticipating the coming Christ. Or, or it could mean arrival. Arrival of the salvation of the earth. The arrival of the Messiah. The arrival of Jesus Christ. And maybe this year more than most years in recent memory for a huge number of us in this world. I think this is a year when we really do and should lean into the anticipation of the arrival of our Savior. It is a time when we recognize the sheer, just how fragile we are, how frail our spirits are, as we've seen some of the best and some of the worst of people come out in these last 12 months, right? We've experienced diseases that we, that we are trying mightily as human beings within the means that we have to overcome. But at the end of the day, 
it will only be by the grace of God that we are able to do that because our bodies are broken and our bodies are fragile. And so Matthew starts his gospel here, a man of God writing to God's people. And so we start here this year as we celebrate this anticipation or this arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we begin here, the people of God, celebrating the Savior of all the people. If we were to, to look at these first three sections, there's so much encouraging that could go on here as, as we begin to understand where, from where Jesus came and, and what it might have meant and what it means, what it meant to them and the first century Jews and what it means to us too. If we just look at the first few verses, verses two through six, read, read with me, I'll put them up on the screen. It says, Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab. There it is. Aram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Ruth and Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. That list of names prominently at, at, in verse 2, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the not just one fathering the next, but also really the holy fathers of God's people. He is mentioned often as the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, who in Genesis 12 was the first to enter into a covenant with God, and he said he would make his descendants like the stars, right? Follow me, Abraham, trust me. Remember that I am your God and you are my people. But Abraham, even several verses after God has established this covenant with him, in, in chapter 12, verse 3, he does so. But in, in, in verse 13 of that same chapter, we see Abraham lying. <laughs> we see him lying to, to protect himself. He convinces his wife, Sarah, who was apparently very pretty, to introduce herself as his sister so that people won't kill him in order to take her. And then in chapter 20, because you know it worked in chapter 12, in chapter 20, he does the same thing. He does it all over again. And yet Romans 4 reminds us that, that, Paul, that, that Abraham was not made holy by the things that he did. And that's an important message for us to understand. We cannot earn our connection to God. We cannot earn our salvation in him. It comes by his grace and his grace alone. Our part is to have faith. In fact, Romans 4, 3 says it this way. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. That should encourage us to remember it's not about being perfect. It's about trusting and following. And then there's, there's Isaac, right? The line through which the people of God exclusively has come through. He was born to Abraham at when Abraham was 100 years old. His, his, his mother and father were so taken aback by this that his name, his name literally means he laughs or he will laugh because they are laughing at the notion that at that old age they would give birth to a son. 
And then there's Jacob who wrestled with God and trans, but but he transformed into the leader of his people. This is a man who stole from his brother, who lied to get what he want, who fought with God trying to beat him, which by the way, mental note, can't happen. And he is redeemed though by his humility as God gives him an opportunity to see that he is not all he thinks he is. And he recognizes that. Then there's King David, God's anointed one. Just in these few verses, we meet so many that are so important to the history of what it means to be God's people. King David, a man who would later be said to be a man after God's own heart. But, but we know, if you know David's story, there were times in his life where he was anything but that. The man lied and cheated. He stole his, one of his friend's wives and then had his friend killed so that it wouldn't be a problem. Are you kidding me? And yet, and yet as God chooses to reestablish his covenant with this man, with this king, and says, your house in 2 Samuel 7, 16, it says, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Just these five verses as Matthew begins this book should remind us that God is faithful to his people even when we are not as faithful as we need to be toward him. And in the, the next set of verses, the, the period that covers from King David to the Babylonian exile, when, when the people of God are removed from their country for a period of 70 years, not because they were doing everything God asked them to do, but because they refused to consistently do everything God asked them to do. If we read here in verse 7, it says, David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. She has another name. Her name is Bathsheba. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and Rehoboam fathered Abijah, and Abijah fathered Asa, and Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, and Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham, and Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Those names are a mouthful. And can I, can I just give you some advice real quick? The truth is that we don't know for sure how those names were pronounced in Hebrew. We know based on tradition, but not on writing, because ancient Hebrew didn't have vowels. And so why do I tell you that? I tell you that because of this. If you're doing your level best to say the name properly, great, because the truth is, we're only guessing at what properly is. <laughs> David, King David, again, it begins with him as it ended this last section, right? This man who is not always the person that God would call him to be. But the name here that really sticks out to me is Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah and his wife Hephzibah. Hephzibah, which means God delights in her. My wife even has it on her license plate, right? On her car. God delights in her. And Hezekiah, who's known as one of the greatest kings of Israel's ancient history, who restored the things of God to their rightful place above the top of the kingdom. And yet they gave birth to Manasseh, 
Manasseh ruled 55 years. And by all accounts, Manasseh, who comes from these two wonderful people who love the Lord and who the Lord delighted in, Manasseh over his 55 years is known to have had one of the bloodiest ruling periods ever in Jewish history. In 2 Kings 21, verse 16, it says this, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to the other. This was an addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit. And so they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This this king, Manasseh, was responsible single-handedly over the course of his reign, reign, really, for the destruction of everything his father had built. He tore the people of God away from God. He led them astray repeatedly and often. He rebuilt all of the altars to the ancient gods that Israel was not supposed to go anywhere near, these pagan gods. He destroyed everything. And yet, from this line, right, this genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, from this line, God's people are fully and finally redeemed in Jesus Christ. You know, there are so many of us that come from a, a background that maybe we think the things we've experienced or the people we've been raised with or the things that have been done to us or the life that we came from makes it impossible to ever be fully redeemed in God. Maybe we think like David and his people, remember fathers, the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe we think we've done things that tear us away from God, that we could not possibly be redeemed in him. Can I just tell you a secret? Jesus's genealogy, the story of where he came from, right? That story, God worked through over the generations and God redeemed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, admittedly, neither you or I are Jesus Christ, but the idea that we sometimes hold ourselves to, that we cannot possibly be worth redeeming, or that we cannot possibly get past all of the things that have happened to us in our life and have our souls cleansed in Jesus Christ and to come to know him and to be clean and clear and worthy of God, not because we're perfect, but because he says we are. The idea with a lie we tell ourselves that we can't be that should be immediately dispelled by reading a genealogy like this and remember remembering how God redeemed the world through those people. And, and in many ways, despite those people. I'm going to the, the last five verses, Matthew 1, verses 12 through 16. It says this, After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shetiel, and Shetiel fathered Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel fathered Abayud, and Abayud fathered Eliakim, and Eliakim fathered Azor. Whew. I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to try. Azor fathered Zadok, and Zadok fathered Akim, and Akim fathered Eliud, and Eliud fathered Elizar, and Elizar fathered Mathan, and Mathan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus Christ, who was called the Messiah. A young woman named Mary, rejected by the world, 
and a humble man who trusted God. Were given an opportunity they were surely not worthy of to raise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The truth is, Matthew starts with this genealogy so that the people of God, because Matthew was a Jew writing to God's people, the Jews at that time, to remind them that no matter how horrible they think they are, God can redeem them. But also to remind them that if, they've, if they really believe they've got it all together and all figured out and their life is perfect, their history per is perfect, their world is perfect, to remind them that they would not be where they are without God. That it was not them who got themselves there. That it was not them who solved their, all of their problems. But it was the Lord God and his faithfulness and his love and his strength that carried them here through the first 42, the six times seven. And now they stand on the precipice of being introduced to the savior of the world who will carry them into eternity. But they have to trust him in order to do it. I pray that in this season, you will, you will regain, if you've lost your trust in God, that you will regain your trust in his faithfulness and his strength and his capacity to be there for you and with you, even if you don't think you're worth it. And I pray that you will read along with us and that you will be encouraged, if you've never met God, to come to know him for the first time because he's been watching your family just as he's watched Jesus's from the very beginning. And he desires for you to come to him, to know him, and to be redeemed by him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and be gracious to you and give you peace.